Hello everyone, my, this, welcome to this episode of Game Podger Unfocused Episode 5. My, I'm your host Scott and with me as always is Hilka. How are you today, Hilka? Uh, a little bit under the weather. Um, I took a trip and all of the fun things that come with taking a trip uh, more or less happened to me. Some things were really good, some things were a real pain in the butt. Uh, and... It has also given me pain in my throat. Oh no. So, uh, apologies ahead of time. I'm doing my best to manage it during the recording, but if I sound a little raspier than usual, uh, worry not fans, it's not permanent, I hope. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, no, I've, um, I, ha <laughs> ha, uh, so you've, you've been, you've been out of the bed. Uh, what you been up to? Oh, uh, well... I went to London. That that was the trip. I went to uh, Wembley Stadium, which is one of the largest buildings I've ever been in in my life. It might actually be the largest one. It's sort of between that and like that Walmart I went to in Canada that was so mind-bogglingly large that I was like, okay, I, I kind of relate to like um, uh lovecraft protagonists a little bit now that i've been in there uh but yeah um i went to see a wrestling show AEW all in the literal biggest wrestling show of all time eighty one thousand and thirty four people and me um in one building wow it was wild uh they're gonna do it again next year which is even wilder <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll say, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we're not a wrestling podcast, but like, uh, the atmosphere was unbelievable. Uh, the way that you really get drawn in with the rest of the crowd. I've been to other live wrestling shows, but like never one that was on this scale mm -hmm. and certainly not one this big that ever got recorded. Uh, most of the wrestling shows I've been to were just what we call house shows, they're untelevised, just, hey, we're coming to Amsterdam, and you get to see your favorite wrestlers do matches. <laughs> um, but yeah, the probably the wildest thing was Wembley Stadium is so big that, like, the chance of the crowd would sort of move through the stadium. So, like, our section, like, we'd hear a chant coming from, like, the left, and we'd join in. And then after a certain point, the chant like sort of peters out, but then we oh. keep hearing it going to the right because people heard it from our section. So there was this Doppler effect of chanting throughout the entire evening. It was so weird. Oh. Uh, but yeah, it, it was wild. If you were at All In as well, uh, I hope you also had a good time. Uh, yeah. But uh, I seem to have gotten sick on the journey back. Oh, no. Because neither of the people I went with are experiencing any kind of illness. So I assume it happened in the trip back home on the train to my home city. Uh, cool. Love that for me. Yeah. <laughs> how, about, uh, how about you? How have you been? Um, boring old sod, unfortunately. Yeah, haven't haven't ha haven't been that exciting as you. Um, nah, I've got <laughs> honestly, I've got I've got nothing. Um, no, no, really exciting with me, unfortunately. 
Uh, but we, we, you know, we both have played some games, so uh, yeah, let's get right into that. Yeah. All right, so for this um, for this time, I've played a couple of um, remasters uh, that have come out. Uh, the first one that I played is the Rise of the Triad Ludicrous Edition. Now, this was released on the last day of July. Um, this is done by Night Dive Studios, a uh, porting company do excellent work. You know, they've done Doom 64, the Turok series. Um, they're about to do uh, Turok 3 and um, Star Wars Dark Forces which I did not think was going to be um, one that anybody was going to do. That's where I've heard them recently. I saw stories about both Turok 3 and Star Wars Dark Forces. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Turok series. They're not amazing, but they're so weird and goofy. There's actually, uh, at time of recording, they launched a Humble Bundle yesterday uh, that has the first two Turok remasters in it and a bunch of other dinosaur games that I've literally never heard of. Um, but uh, yeah, if you want uh, Turok 1 and 2 on the cheap Humble Bundle. Mm. Well, hopefully that one um, is also in New Zealand because I had a friend of mine, um, they tried to get the Turok games on Switch, but for some reason it's not on the eShop in the New Zealand store. That is odd because like I know... Australia has in the past been kind of hesitant on on really violent games and stuff, but I I didn't know that New Zealand also did that. Yeah, it, that's what was odd because if it if it was New Zealand, like I would imagine it'd also be Australia as well because they should have I would imagine they said share like the same store, but apparently not. Um, but anyway, with this um. With this Rise of the Triad, um, yeah, this game was originally released back in 1995 by Apogee, the height of entertainment, as they proclaimed. Um, to give you an idea, this game was released um, 14 months after um, Doom, but it actually uses an updated uh, Wolfenstein engine. Uh, it was actually originally a uh, Wolfenstein sequel, but they couldn't get the rights from the original id software um this yeah yeah um interesting fact so this one um this has actually got four campaigns in it uh you've got the hunt begins this is actually what they release as shareware so normally back in the day with the shareware versions of games like they usually have like three episodes and then like the first episode they do it as for free shareware Th these guys um they actually did it like a completely different episode as the shareware version uh, which is unique. Uh, and then you've got the Dark War, which is the sort of the main campaign. You've got um, Extreme Rot, R Extreme Rise of the Triad. That was the original expansion pack. This one, um, there's a, it's it's just literally too, too tough. Like it's just, imagine like the, ori like the original Super Mario Brothers 2 uh, for the Famicom Disk System like turned up to 11 those sort of difficulty yikes i mean i guess extreme is a an accurate word for it then good lord yeah there's 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 tough and then there's extreme 
And then the last one is the hunt continues. And this is the new campaign that they've actually done with this. This is sort of what they usually do with remasters. Um, with this game, you play as one of five characters that you can select at the beginning. So you are Tarantino Cassatt, uh, Thai Barrett, Laura Lee Nee, uh, Doug Went, and Ian Paul Freely. And yes, that is IP Freely. <sighs> uh, <laughs> well, it was back in 1995. You know, you gotta, you gotta have that piss humor. I, su- I suppose it was the style at the time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, we were clearly into The Simpsons um, at that stage. Uh, they are part of what's called the High Risk United Nations Task Force, Task or Hunt for short. Uh, they are sent to Saint Nicholas Island to investigate a deadly cult activity taking place in an ancient monastery. Um, these all these characters they sort of um, differ with their the with the amount of health, accuracy, and speed. Um, so you just play as basically who you want. Um, with this, um, you've got the way weapon the weapons work. You've got three types of weapons. You've got your sort of your infinite ammo weapon. So you start off like a pistol, then you go dual pistols when you pick up another pistols, and then you pick up a submachine gun. And basically, like these have infinite ammo. Like you don't have to worry about what you know, picking up more ammo, so just keeping up go at it. But its main thing is that um the next sort of weapon sort of your missile launchers. So you've got some, your, your standard missile launcher, your uh your homing missile, your uh firebomb, your drunk missile, your split missile. That's sort of where you've got the mo- most impactful of the weapons. And you've also got like um Sorry, did you say drunk missile yep did i hear that correctly you you just have like a weird like flight path like what's going on there you've got you basically you shoot it out there's multiple um you multiple uh missiles to come out of it and to just go wherever they want uh does that include uh back to you fortunately no so you still goodness you still have to be careful you know uh the splash damage. Um, and then you've got um, you sort of your magic weapons is sort of like you've got a staff or a Excalibat, which is sort of a great, <laughs> like, a, like a baseball bat that you can whack. And then if you hold it in, you release like a whole row of baseball boat, baseballs that go out towards enemies. Um, this game's also got its um, power-ups. You've got your, like, your standard god mode. You've also got a dog mode, you know, God, reverse, dog. You actually yeah. become you actually become a dog, you actually become invulnerable. And you go ahead, you, you become smaller, you can fit into smaller um places so you can bite at enemies. And you've also got um joke uh power up. So you've got like a lasto mode, which basically just makes you just spit around every like go bounce around everywhere. And you got a mushroom mode with sort of like like puts a screen weird, you know, up and down and like vomit inducing. Um, yeah, with this game, it's um, yeah, it's based off the original um, sort of original Wolfenstein engine. Like, still like leagues that have what that can do, but it's sort of you still got the ninety degree angle uh, walls. Um, you sort of got everything sort of a, a standard height. Um, they got some unique things that you got. Um, you got windows you can you can shoot and go past through, and that it's got a very arcade, more arcadey feel. 
something like Doom. Like you've got like jump pads, you've got a uh, live system. Uh, you've got, uh, you collect coins for points and with those points you can get more lives. Uh, but really, you, you like it's got, uh, you've got manual saves and of course, so yeah, life system is sort of defunct really. And probably one of the things that I could probably um, remove. Oh yeah, I, I, I've been on the train of we don't need live systems anymore since like, I like the PS2, you know? It was like, wasn't uh, Super Mario Odyssey like the first Mario platformer that didn't have lives anymore? Yeah, and that that was that was, that was great. You know, it basically like you would um, when you die, you just lose some, you just lose some coins. Yeah, so you still get punished, but you're not going through this arbitrary, you know, life system. Yeah, basically, you have to restart the whole thing if you lose all them all. So yes, I I am with that camp as well, definitely. No, no more lives. So one thing I am curious about because this is a a remaster, you said. Yep. Oh well, it... yeah, remaster. Yes, yeah, a remaster. Yeah. So it does still have like the pixel graphics of the original, right? It does still have the very angular pixels, just capable of being played in a higher resolution and more quality of life things. Yeah. So like you can play it in four K, one hundred twenty hertz, like over hundred like 120 hertz that's sort of but it's still very much a pixel based um you know even the um the viewing angle when you look up and down because sort of it was back in those days like say like Duke Nukem 3d or even like um you know re- like um hexen or something like you look up but it's not actually you're not actually looking up it's sort of it's a weird perspective you sort of like the screen is going up it's um it's an odd way that it's doing it um it's still got that uh, it's also because uh, it, it it's, it's funny. It's got uh, it does have room over rooms, which was, was a limitation of the Doom engine. But it's a bit of a stress. All it's simply do you've got these um like circular pads that you can you can walk around, and basically it uses that like they're just they're basically sprites, and it sort of uses that so that you can use that as like moving platforms. So. It's not really rooms over rooms. It's just basically you can stand on the thing and it acts like a platform, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it was basically them. I, I feel like it was them just trying to um, get in the most of like the understanding, that, you know, like they had, like obviously they would have been aware of Doom, you know, because basically they used like Apogee and it used to work together. Um, being aware, you know, this Doom engine, you know, it is limitation. So let's just go all that you know let's just uh just crazy weapons crazy enemies um you got for your enemies you got your standard um like digitized stol- soldiers um to robots that sort of like a look like a low spec uh dalek oh wow uh yeah like 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 pots and pans basically <laughs> it's but fu- it's absolutely fu- it's absolutely funny um the re-release actually um because originally they were going to have um with s- certain enemy types of the soldiers like a sort of like a different sort of uh enemy sprite like still the same sort of enemy but a different sprite but back in the day because of memory limitations they couldn't put that in so they've actually reworked that into the remaster you can actually set it to uh if you want them to show frequently or don't show which is what that's cool that's a little bit of gaming Mm. history that you can experience 
Yeah, exactly. Um, with this, I will say, like, this is like a good, nearly thirty-year-old game. Yeah, be yeah, nearly thirty-year-old game. You know, um, the final boss is the most annoying one. Like, you effectively you've got a uh, sort of like a big monk that's sort of um, you go so initially you sort of got the you you find it's the final boss. But it ends up being that um, the way you got to do it is that you got to let the boss go around, but you don't actually attack it. No matter what you do, it won't actually go down. And over time, it'll basically get bored and then run off. And then you got to go chase it into two other levels. Yeah. That's just stalling. And back, yeah, back in the day, yeah, how, how were you to know, you to know that? And then once you actually end up going to the final boss, um, it's ba- they actually end up becoming like this big snake like head um, with like a snake trail going around. You beat the final boss, okay. But then you find out, oh, you didn't get all the eggs. And basically what it is that the final boss has laid eggs of themselves. And you actually got to go around to the final level and locate these eggs. And they're like in sort of like secret, secret compartments. And it's very... It's very annoying. Like, obviously, you can you can work out what it is now. You know, go look at guides or like going on YouTube. That that's kind of an anticlimax, isn't it? Like, you just spent ages fighting this boss, and then there's a fetch quest to still like, okay, if you want to actually finish the game, you have to do this fetch quest first. Ha ha. It is um, it is it's annoying. Like, but you're able to. What you find out is is you find out you find all the eggs. Um, yeah, yeah, you beat the game. Um, runs really runs really well. I got it on Steam, obviously Steam, because it hasn't been released on consoles yet. They delayed it. Uh, apparently, it's going to come out the 29th of September for the consoles. So, I would say because um, like it, I sort of feel like with sort of older games, there's there's a determining factor that how sort of easy they are to get into like i would rate something like doom the original doom like i'm playing that now i've actually beaten that and i'm playing doom 2 at the moment i rate those as like even if you've never really played them before played it like older games like that like going from newer games i feel like the doom series is easy enough to get into i feel like rise of the triad leans more towards Wolfenstein, which is very difficult. Like for me, it was basically like, I know what the game was about. I know how to play it originally back in the day. And it was easy, like it's still a bit, bit of a struggle to get through, but it was easy enough to me, get me to get through. But if you've never played any of the games before, I feel like it'd probably be a bit difficult to get into. Speaking from my own experience, like I have the original version from Good Old Games. Okay. Um, which I think it just probably just runs in DOSBox, to be honest. Um, but I, I played that for a bit, and yeah, uh, like I, I didn't start playing at least shooters until like I played Halo 1 at a friend's house. Okay. So especially like that kind of shooter where you're running really really quickly like obviously in halo you're running faster than most of the other characters but like 
I feel like in Doom especially, position is so important because most of the weapons aren't uh, hit scan. Like, you have the ability to dodge most of the shots in the game. Yeah, that if you're not used to it, I can imagine that, that being quite problematic. Uh, one thing I was curious about as well. So we mentioned the uh, IP freely joke earlier. Um, how, considering, like, I assume the comedy is pretty much unchanged since the original from 1994, uh, how well has that part held up? Like, is there an aspect of, like we said earlier, like, you know, that's just what comedy was back then. Or would you actually say, is is it still funny? I mean, for that, like, you had that sort of, like, like lowbrow humor there. Um, the most of the other humor is sort of like, um, sort of like extreme jibs, like when you hit a pl- hit, hit an enemy with a um, with a missile, and they just giblets go everywhere. That sort of leans more to what its humor is about. Like, there's no real like, yeah, no real big story with this game. A uh, bit of a uh, couple of funny quotes with the actual when you beat the game, and each character got the you know yeah. I wanted to do this, like I, I felt this during the during the whole campaign. Um, but yeah, and also the the situation itself that is the story of the game is a little bit ridiculous, and that does I think lend it to an air of comedy, but not one that's like omnipresent in the way that something like uh, an old game that's a comedy game. Um, uh, Monkey Island, for instance, no. obviously a very different game, no. but uh, it's no, just def- like this is the situation, and then it's fairly straightforward from there. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's nothing, nothing like like wit comedy like Monkey Island. It's sort of like here are some here are some enemy sol- soldiers. Here's a um, big enemy soldier, you know, six feet tall, like sorry, eight feet tall with a bazooka. Here's a pots and pan robot that goes around. Here's a monk that lays eggs that sort of like weirdness sort of oh that's sort of weird humor it's very uh i think the word is pulpy like if you look at the box art as well it looks like one of those old like pulp adventure novels the ones that are like they're called pulp partially because the paper they were printed on was extremely cheap and not designed to last very long but uh, it sort of has that that kind of feel, I think. Yeah, sort of what something if like Mystery Science Theater three thousand were to, yeah, be into games, what they would possibly uh, look into. At that, yeah. Ah, so yeah, that is um, yeah, Rise of the Triad re- uh, Ludicrous Edition. That's one remaster I played, and the other one I did, uh, which came out on the tenth of August, was um, uh, was um. Quake 2 Remastered, also done by Night Dive Studios. Uh, this one was very much heavily rumored. Uh, it's an excellent, this one is an excellent port, just like the Quake 1 Remastered one. I actually, um, if you've got it on Steam, um, it's a free update, which is very cool. Uh, they, yeah, they did this originally with, um, they did this with the Doom ports. Although that was, um, there wasn't much, like, it was like a source port update that you could do, or the original. Uh, but with um, Quake 1 Remastered, and also Quake 2 Remastered, because it's got a bit more um, 
effort to look a bit more into it. Yeah, they just released some free updates, but it's also you know on Switch, um, Switch, Xbox, PlayStation. Uh, funny enough, um, <laughs> the PC and the Xbox versions have eight player split screen. Eight, eight player split screen. How do you see anything? <laughs> like oh. maybe it's just because my computer monitors aren't all that big. Oh. Like, I, how do you like? I'm, I'm legitimately having kind of a tough time conceptualizing. A, how that would be divided? Is it like two rows of four? Like let how? Me, yeah, let me have a check here. Okay, so what it is is that you've got. I'm just looking at picture here. It seems to do it, looks to do it like a four by three aspect, but it's sort of like um the first two, it's got two on the top and then the it's got three rows, two on the first layer and then three on each other. So one, two, and then, you know, six on the sort of the lower end. Wild. Because Quake, like, Quake is, is one of the original, like, uh split screen multiplayer like team deathmatch or everyone out for themselves games right like yeah that that is sort of where the, the like unreal tournament thing came from and that sort of made that kind of multiplayer gameplay standardized that's also well, what the, you saw with like golden eye and stuff yeah so with the original pc version um that was more like that was big into the online multiplayer but definitely with it, because Quake 2, that was also released on Nintendo 64 and PlayStation, those were heavily focused on the split-screen multiplayer. Back when, for a LAN party, you had to bring your entire PC to someone else's house. Yeah, exactly. Actually, so speaking of that, I um, with my experience with Quake 2, because I did play it originally on the PC, but my, the first time I actually played and beat it was on PlayStation. And this was back in the day where it was awesome because it had like it had four split split screen multiplayer, which that sort of became more popular, obviously after Goldeneye. But this is sort of more like the, the Quake Two is sort of like a PlayStation's answer to um, Goldeneye. I I feel you go in and get like a, a they, yeah the split screen multiplayer. The only issue with the PlayStation was that it only had two controller ports, so if you wanted to do four player. You had to get two multi tap. Uh, you had to get multi tap. Mm. Yeah. Or if you wanted, it, it actually had um mouse control as well. So if you wanted to do four players with four mouses, you had to get two uh, multi tap adapters, and basically have like one controller, then one mouse. So basically, like eight controller ports all used up. I forgot that the PlayStation had a mouse it could use. I know the Nintendo 64 did. There was a great um, video by Stop Skeletons from Fighting exploring the, like, Nintendo 64 mouse. I didn't know the PlayStation had one as well. Yeah, no, yeah, it did. It wasn't used... I don't think it was used as much as the Nintendo 64 one. Like, you had stuff like Command & Conquer. uh, I think... I don't know if Warcraft was on... Richard Walker was on PlayStation, but you had a lot of real-time strategy games on there as well. Um, so the mouse was definitely handy. All those. Uh, with this uh, with this remaster, there's um, five campaigns. There's the original Quake Two. Um, there's Call of the Machine and the Reckoning. These were the original expansion packs. 
you've got Ground Zero, which is the Machine Games campaign um, from the there and yep, they're from the recent um, Wolfenstein developers. So always going back, <laughs> always going back into Wolfenstein. Yeah, yeah, and then the, it's actually includes um, uh, Quake Two sixty four. So with this Quake Two the, for the sixty four is not like the original Quake One, where it's just like um, the same levels but either toned down or completely missing. These are actually unique levels because they couldn't do the original Quake Two levels on there. Oh wow! Yeah, no, far too far too big. Yeah, the, the risk, this remaster is excellent. Uh, it's got remastered visuals, uh, which you can turn off, but it, it's it's one of the, it has that effect where the the remastered look looks feels like what you originally played it as. Whereas if you actually turn it off, you go, oh, okay, that's um that's what it looked like. Um, it was funny with Quake Two because that was um it had smooth animation, but it didn't have skeleton animation for the models. You had to um, I think they had to adjust the vertices each sort of frame so the vertices have this wiggle effect um so if you got like a like your weapon animation you sort of like you see the shotgun just like jelly it <laughs> was yeah it's 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 completely wild uh, it doesn't happen with the uh, with the um the remastered visuals uh, but it's fu- it's funny um they've even added cut contact back uh, that was, um, you know, from betas uh, into the game, like uh, missing level sections and enemy AI. So one example, there's an enemy called the Berserker, which you originally they just ran around and sort of like just hit you. Um, and so for the easy enough to get uh, to avoid, but now they have this big leap attack. Uh, it's cool. Like they can go around and jump up at you. Uh, big, I find a problem with that that particular attack is that they've actually because it's like an area of effect attack I feel like the the range is too big they just even if it's like you know like a meter away from you they still get you oh yeah yeah but Quake like Quake also has very quick movement right your player character can like uh, bunny hop and, and jump yep. around and stuff yeah so I mean shooters back in those days were way more twitch reflexes than they are even now obviously that's still an aspect you have to keep in mind but like if you see like especially i'm not that into speed running but seeing someone like who's really good at speed running the original doom that that is something special and so i imagine maybe that's one of the reasons they cut it actually now that you mention it is like you know, we we didn't have enough time to make it not annoying, so mm-hmm. we just got rid of it. I yeah. don't know. I'm speculating. Yeah. No, definitely. It could be. I, I think that's probably what it was. Um, the original camp, Quake campaign is somewhat hub-based uh, with mission objectives, although when you're going through the levels, it's sort of, you just go, it's standard going through the levels and you'll end up um, completed objectives anyway sort of like okay you got to get these um three cubes or you got to get this key or you got to activate this um it's not like a like a like a hunt um like a hunting exercise uh, the levels can get pretty um tedious sometimes um but there is actually um there is actually a new item in there called the compass which basically just like you activate it um and you can it just gives them like it's sort of like points to where you actually got to go which is 
really good because sometimes you can get i did find i did get lost sometimes it's just easy enough it just basically tells you um you know you actually got to go up and hit the switch and then okay. you gotta go yeah so it's very handy you don't have to use it so it's very handy to have and it's this this one game like quake one has the weapon wheel so you hold it and you can actually select your weapon it slows down time so it's easy enough to use and it's actually they use it for um because quake 2 introduced um items um i think that was the early quake game that did that um so you got stuff like you know you can you can like store your quad damage you got um a breathing apparatus uh you've got uh a silencer uh which is useless because you're why would you need that your enemies are always going to find you anyway so um but um yeah so yeah i enjoyed the original quake campaign uh grand zero campaign is absolutely great um it acts like the original quake one new campaign when they did the remaster and that was also done by uh machine games um it's a very it's a it's a big hub where you basically you got six levels you sort of warp into it each time you sort of start off fresh but you quickly amass your um, weapons and ammo that sort of Thing. and it's cool because they what they do is that because it's on newer hardware they can increase the enemy count so it's just like ridiculously high <laughs> um yeah but they they do it smartly you know you're able to uh, manage it well you know they have enough ammunition and that to, you're able to get in a situation like you know you get to you'll be able to get a quad damage that sort of thing it's sort of like um it's sort of like going from the original doom to doom 2 because when doom 2 was released that sort of it that's the big thing so they just re- ramped up like bigger levels and more enemies um sort of like inspiration play like doom 2016 and doom eternal obviously there's a very cool i won't spoil it but there is a very cool easter egg uh in the new campaign i'll tell you about it after this so one thing i was curious about was you mentioned that the updated visuals look like how you remember it looking and the original visuals are extremely polygonal Mm -hmm. um did they do anything with the colors at all because quake i think has a bit of a reputation for being a very brown game like brown and gray uh and that's probably one of the reasons why it's so easy to get lost in some of those levels because a lot of it looks the same did was there any um do do you feel like there's any work done to like adjust that a little bit i did i did feel like it was a bit more colorful honestly um and apparently you can't actually turn that off so you can get that original brand look if you wanted to um so i did like the detection work you know colored lighting uh especially like with the actual um because actually that was one of the big things i remember with the um Quake two on the Nintendo sixty four and the PlayStation was that they um they put in different lighting, so it didn't didn't look like that complete brown. I remember the PlayStation one being a lot more purple. Oh wow! Mm. Um, actually, speaking of Play Quake two, yeah, it's 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 fun to play, but very, as I said, very short. Um, small levels. Um, uh, only thinking like seventeen levels. Very tiny compared to the original. Um original uh quake too and then lastly it's got what's called the 
id vault um this is very cool this has got a collection of concept art and development notes so you have stuff like okay these are the sort of the original drawings for certain enemy types you even got the like the original um like old uh, unused models and like they're just a model of something that yeah, it hasn't even been um, textured, but they just included oh, wow. it. Yeah, they just included it in there just to say, and they detail you know, this is what it was going to be. Um, and they got like a whole thing you can view all the entire models. You can actually view what they are in the remastered mode and what they are originally just with a button press. One of the coolest things they've got in there is that they've actually got um videos of people re- playing the original um beta versions, like pre-release E three levels. Wow. Yeah, and not only that, they actually allow you to play those E3 level levels. That's so cool. Yeah. It's like, it's, I remember, like, there's all these things about the original Doom betas. Like, it's completely different to what it was originally going to be. Um, And it'd be, I think, like, it'd be cool if they, like, if they, like, would update the Doom classic remark again, if they included those in as sort of like a bonus. Because if they did it like it like in this game, yeah, I think that'd be pretty neat. I do really like we're seeing a lot more of that kind of thing in remasters and like re-release bundles as well. Like there was that Atari one that had like a whole bunch of Atari games, but it also just had a lot of history of Atari. Uh, there was uh, one I played, Metroid Prime Remastered, like by reading the. Um, the data logs in the game you also unlocked like concept art of the development from the original game uh, and stuff and i like that we get to see like obviously most of us weren't there for when those games were being developed because the teams were pretty small at the time so getting to see even just a little bit of behind the scenes thing in the creation of these games that are i think undeniably considered classics Yes. Like it 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 helps keep the information on the history of video games accessible and flowing because video games by and large are one of the least like the history of them is the le- one of the least accessible ones you can have in any of the other forms of media we have cuz like th- there was a a study a-, a while back I can't remember who it was but that like 80-ish percent of all video games are just like not playable. Mm. That that they've not not necessarily that, that they've been lost to time, but they're just like you know, um they only existed on like the Super Nintendo, and they don't make Super Nintendos anymore. So if you wanted to experience Okay, I'm I'm like a little out of my element in Super Nintendo. Let's go forward a bit. Um, so if you wanted to experience, like, Vex on the PlayStation 2 or the original Xbox, although the Xbox version is um, in the, like, digital backwards compatibility section in the Xbox Series X and Series S, but, like, if you don't have those, you have to go buy an original Xbox and a copy of the game exactly and a tv that's compatible with that because uh the original xbox did not have an hdmi port no no it did not um it did i think it did have component 
Um, but I mean, like I've got a I've got a 4K TV, and that's only got HDMI, excuse <coughs> me, or um, composite. It doesn't allow component. Oh, yeah, which is weird. I think mine does RGB still, or not RGB. Uh, the I forget what they're called, but they're red, yellow, and white ones. I think mine still does that. But yeah, other than that, it's like that and HDMI. So God help you if you have something that needs like a SCART cable. Actually, speaking of going, actually, if I can go back to the Super Nintendo, uh, it's funny with the actual, have you, do you, are you aware of the Satella view? The name sounds familiar, but that's about it. It's about, it was originally the way it worked it, Hooked up, it was Japan now, it hooked up to a satellite service. And what it would do, you would be able to download certain pieces like get like certain game demos or little games uh, in certain times, like during like a sort of, like effectively like a radio broadcast over satellite. Um, and a lot of those games are only playable now because people had the had. The, the foresight to actually because you used to download them like these little like little carts um um so actually you could like you could play them again but yeah like they, like they weren't re they weren't officially re-released anywhere uh people you had um yeah they would download them on these carts and at least then they could be you know dumped uh and then you had stuff like the um like um they had like a Zelda game that had sort of like an original Japanese orchestra orchestra soundtrack with um voice acting. And you would actually oh, wow. Yeah, apparently the way it works is that you would play it at a certain time and there would be voice acting and it would actually s- try to match up with the gameplay you were doing. Um but those um that like those voice recordings, you know, you couldn't store those in the memory on, on the little cartridge. So they're lost in time. Like to officially play those, um, the only way you can sort of experience those is with um, what people have done on you upload videos on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, video games also like I I think movies have a sort of problem with this as well in the sense that like you know they they license a franchise to make a movie uh, and then they you know lose the license to that. Um, but video games, this, this happens a lot as well. Like one of my personal favorites is, uh, Lord of the Rings, the battle for middle earth Two, a Lord of the Rings real-time strategy game that was made by EA, I believe. And a, because it was made by EA, the studio that developed it doesn't exist anymore. And B, EA doesn't have the license for Lord of the Rings anymore. So... It is uh, what is called vaporware, which is legally doesn't actually mean anything. It is still technically piracy if you download it and play like, uh, not a ROM. No, more a, like a, if you play play it like emulation, like in, in, if it was sort of like because uh, it was it a Windows game or a DOS game. It was a PC game. Okay, Windows. Yeah, but, but like it's there's no official way to actually go ahead and purchase it digitally. You have to go ahead and try and hunt down the CD or by other nefarious and things. hope it still works on like Windows 10. 
you know there there's only so much the compatibility mode can do uh or you have to you know get get a little sneaky by finding it online somewhere but like it it is very frustrating that it is a situation where like i am technically breaking the law well i'm not technically i am breaking the law if i go online and find a download for it but i literally have like no other option because the company that made it isn't selling it anymore. Exactly. Which is very frustrating. It's and, a very, very frustrating situation. And and in that regard, to sort of bring it back to what we were talking about, the kind of like remasters that we're getting nowadays is like, not only is it bringing these older games to newer systems so that people can either who missed out on them because they were too young or they didn't have access to the system it was on, um, will be able to experience them for the first time. And they come with other things about the, like the development history and stuff and concept art and all that thing and all that stuff as unlockables. And that assuming the information in those remasters is accurate, uh, does help keep the history of the medium, more alive and more accessible. Exactly. Like, you wouldn't think, like, going back to, say, Doom, Doom is sort of the the original, where sort of, because they released the source port, they th- released the source code, free, uh, you know, open source. Um, oh, so, so they did open source, you know, there was all these source ports that came out, and so that's been able to still be relevant. Whereas something like um like Rise of the Triad like it's got port like ports because they released the the original source code, but it hasn't been as popular, and so you haven't had like technically like they're they're impressive for what they are, but they haven't been like really good ports of Rise of the Triad, and now you've got this sort of official one because they've actually gone ahead and put the like oh like they've got really put the effort into it. And so now people can go ahead and experience that. Also, a minor correction from something I said earlier. Uh, at the the term I was looking for was abandonware, not vaporware. Ah, vaporware yeah. is something else. Yeah, vaporware. Uh, vaporware is, is something that never materialized, like hmm. that Star Trek shooter. Star Trek, uh, not Star Trek. Uh, oh God! Oh no! What's it oh, called? No. Uh, the Bun, not bun, the the Blizzard Starcraft the Starcraft shooter. ah yes uh, Starcraft, that's vapor Starcraft Starcraft Ghost yeah something yeah. something like that yeah that's vaporware abandonware is I mean what it sounds like it's been abandoned by the publisher yeah. or the developer and it is legally still piracy but sometimes you have no other options exactly. Yeah, that's um. So yeah, those are my thoughts on the remasters, Quake Two and uh, Rise of the Triad Ludicrous Edition. Yeah. Exciting, exciting. Now, very ex- speaking of exciting, you've gone ahead and you've been playing some Baldur's Gate Three. I am very curious about your thoughts on this. Uh, yeah, me and most of Europe. Uh, if the indication of steam servers on launch day were any indication <laughs> uh yeah i think i i saw this uh shout out to dutch video game journalist ron fostermans who shared some like 
data of Steam's server load on launch day that like the Steam servers in Europe alone were being hammered so hard from everyone downloading this like 135 gigabyte game that they were outputting like 40 terabytes of data per second. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I didn't buy it until a couple days later because, uh, fun fact, as I discovered, uh, my computer basically can't run it. Uh, In the minimum requirements, it says that it has to be installed on an SSD. And my computer does have an SSD, but it's not big enough. It has, like, my operating system and stuff on it. Because I built this thing, like, eight years ago and haven't really touched the storage on it since. And I'm planning upgrades later this year. But, like, I have, like, a 256 gigabyte SSD and a one terabyte HDD hard drive. So I had to play it on my Steam Deck, as I have been doing. Because uh, that does have a built-in SSD. Uh, and... That that is what I've exclusively been playing it on. It's okay for for a little bit of background on me. Uh, I've mentioned this in previous episodes. I'm not only a video games guy, but I'm also a tabletop role playing games guy. I've played a lot of D and I've played a bunch of other systems too. Don't worry, I'm not a D and D only person. Um, but this one was especially exciting to me because like. I am a fan of D&D 5th edition. I still play it very regularly and seeing it translated into video game form was very exciting. Also, so many of the reviews for this game were so glowing that I feel I felt like I had to check it out. And I bought it a couple days later cuz I wanted to wait for it to be verified on Steam Deck. It was playable when it launched and then there were a couple updates uh and now it's actually verified. Okay. Um, yeah. Unsurprisingly, I also really like this game. Uh, that's not exactly an unpopular opinion. This game is really, really good. Um, it is notable. There's been a lot of writing done on the circumstances of its creation because this is a game that was very, very expensive to make, but it was being made by a company that's not a publicly traded company. Like, Larian Studios doesn't have to, like, appeal to investors in the same way that, like, Ubisoft would have to, for instance. The only thing that they really had was they had to keep Wizards of the Coast happy because they are the ones that supply the D&D license. And so... This game is really good, but we're probably not going to get another game like it for a long time. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Was this originally for Google Stadia? Oh, God. Um, That I don't know, actually. Uh, I, like many other people, didn't pay a lot of attention to Google Stadia. No. Uh, I know it's been in like Steam Early Access for a while. Like I, I do know someone who already had like a lot of playtime on it even before it officially launched. Um I, I actually don't know if it was for Google Stadia as well. The only like Google Stadia exclusive game I can think of was not Orcs and Elves, but uh Dungeon Defenders? It's 
it's like a third person game where you're setting up traps uh in like a, a dungeon hallway and then enemies go through and yeah i know the third one of those was for google stadia the rest i i genuinely don't remember okay i'm having a look here okay so it looks like it was announced like through during the uh, google stadia connect conference but it wasn't actually an exclusive so yeah but i just remember like back in my mind i was just thinking well, is this really good originally for google stadia well not anymore <laughs> yep and thank god for that i think the um they think the um yeah i think the whole cloud gaming thing it will become a thing in the future but at the moment now it's um i think everyone's just jumped, jumped the gun a little bit gun a little bit too early uh, orcs must die is the franchise i was trying to think of by the ah, way orcs okay. must die three was uh stadia exclusive for a while and now stadia doesn't exist anymore and i do believe it is now possible to buy it on like steam and stuff but yeah um so i i i sort of wanted to bring up an article by uh I'm going to do my best to pronounce this name. Uh, I think it's Jita Jackson. Uh, they Their review for Polygon was was very interesting. It was a very well-written review that I, I don't agree with all of it, and I sort of wanted to talk about it a little bit because Baldur's Gate 3, just in the like detail it has and the ways that the characters are written and the interactions you can have with the world, um, it is like kind of i can't believe it exists just the sheer number of options you have are pretty close to what you have in actual factual dnd uh because there are so many different ways to interact with the world and so many like for as an example there's a part early on where you're at like a uh uh you've crashed there you were in a nautiloid ship and you crashed there's fire all over the crash site in my single player uh run i'm playing a paladin so i just sort of had to maneuver around the fire a bit but i'm also playing at uh, co-op with one of my friends and i played a sorcerer and one of the sorcerer spells i have is ray of frost and i was just like huh I wonder what would happen if I cast Ray of Frost on this patch of fire. And the fire went out. You know? That's so cool. And you can, like, chuck water bottles on fire patches as well. But the fact that you can just use one of your cantrips to put out the fire, that's something that, like, I... Okay. To, to give more of, a, or more of an example, one of my, like, more than like playing and running D&D, my favorite thing to do with D&D and other tabletop games is introducing someone to them. Because there's always that moment, and I can see it in their eyes, where they're like, what if I just tried this? You know? I'm just gonna like, this hasn't been explicitly presented to me as an option on like a flowchart. I'm just gonna do this and see what happens. And then it's the game master's, uh, job to make it work within the rules of the game and there are so many little moments you can have in this video game that are a pretty good translation of that 
Um, I will say I'm not like part of the reason I'm not that into RPG video games is because the literal limits in a tabletop game are your imagination. And there's only like, you saw this with scribble knots as well. You know, there's only so many ways you can program different things to interact before the game just becomes unwieldy. But I think Baldur's Gate 3 um, strikes a good balance. Uh, I did want to, like, the, the the review that I'm talking about uh, on Polygon, it does make the argument that, uh, I mean, even looking at the title, Baldur's Gate 3 is a masterpiece built on a bad tabletop game. Um, I don't know if I would go that far. Fifth edition definitely has its problems. Uh, but it is clear from this review that what Cheetah likes out of tabletop role-playing games is not really something that 5th edition is really suited very well for. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I 100% understand their point, even if I don't agree with it. Like, this is a very, very good review. But the point that I like that this review makes is that again Baldur's Gate 3 strikes a really good balance between like player freedom and creativity but also keeping you on track you know you don't have just the liberty to mess around and do whatever you want in like a big sandbox game like a Grand Theft Auto or whatever like there are stuff that needs there are things that need doing and you need to do them. And you're at least implied to be on a little bit of a time limit. So you have to sort of position yourself in really interesting situations and find your way out of it. Because the game is quite hard. Um, I have, like, I'm I'm playing just on the normal difficulty. I think it's called Balanced. And I have straight up, like, died. Like, whole TPK, whole party died. Had to reload a save. Um, so you do have to think very tactically in combat and if that's not something you enjoy which is something you do have to do in D&D 5th edition then you're probably not going to like this oh okay I was going to uh, yeah I was going to I was going to ask you if for someone look I'll be honest I've never played a tabletop game like Dungeons and Dragons I've never I've, done, I've never experienced that what would you say for someone like me I don't know if I'm putting you spot for some of me. Would it be, could they get it possibly get into this game? Um, I guess it sort of depends on what other things you like, right? Because the, the engine, as far as I know, is very similar to um, Larian Studios, other big game, uh, Divinity Original Sin 2. Okay. Uh, which I, I couldn't really get into that. And most of the reason that I didn't really get into that game was, um, the like world and the the lore and stuff of that game i just it was so dense i couldn't really get into it but i've played so much D. i know the forgotten realms i know baldur's gate i know neverwinter like i know all these things that are in D. so a lot of the things are just like okay this like alcohol is called chulton fire swill i know what chult is i know where it is I'm running a campaign there right now. Uh, 
it probably should have been Tedge, but you know, it's splitting hairs at this point. Um, but it is just a very good, like, it is just a very good RPG. The characters are so well written and the performances of them are really, really good. Uh, most people will point to Asterian. He's the rogue with the white hair and the pale skin. Um, all of your companions have true to form in D&D, uh, tragic backstories and interesting quirks about them that you do have to kind of think about, okay, how do I interact with this person and how do they interact with other people in the party? But yeah, honestly, like, even if you've never played D&D before, like, the friend that I'm playing with right now, he he's tried D&D once or twice, but he's really digging this game, even though he didn't really like the tabletop gaming experience. Okay. Uh, one thing for me personally, as someone who does know the, role, the rules of the game very well, is they did make a couple of modifications, and... I do think that this game could probably be tutorialized a bit better. Uh, like, there are a lot of aspects of... Especially the interface and inventory management that I sort of had to figure out for myself. I didn't see any, like, tutorial things for it of... How do I give this character this item for my inventory? It is easy to find, but you do actually have to find it yourself. Um, some notable things that are differences from the tabletop game in the tabletop game drinking a potion is an action in the in Baldur's Gate 3 it's a bonus action which is so much better it's like one of the biggest things that people change to house rule in the tabletop game because drinking a potion as an action is ridiculous okay Um, but yeah if uh, again uh Gita's review they really focus on the part that they liked was especially character interactions and the writing and the history of the world that part is unparalleled i think and the gameplay does force you to be a very tactical in a way that if you've played something like fire emblem you'd probably be quite used to okay uh but it's not grid-based like you can move up to a certain amount of distance but you can move in any direction sort of my interaction with um yeah rpgs is more so like um mario rpgs earthbound um and i've played four of the dragon quest games yeah this is definitely more in the realm of like I mean, Divinity Original Sin is the obvious example because that's also made by Larian, but also like Dragon Age. Okay. Uh, it has some similarities with Dragon Age. Uh, yeah. It's just like, I honestly, I've played it for about 17 hours, which men, means that I have barely scratched the surface of the game. This game is big. And there's so much to explore in it. And there's so many things that can make each playthrough unique. Because um, in like the dialogue options when you're talking to people, 
there will be unique dialogue options if you're like a paladin. If you picked paladin as your class, there will be like if someone got like if there there was a scene pretty early on where the, a child got into trouble because they stole something because they wanted to delay a magic ritual, and as a paladin, you can then say one of your options is. You know, it in my authority as a paladin of. I actually don't know tier. I assume, um, I I I'm invoking my authority to pass judgment on this child. If you're not a paladin, you just don't get to do that. And and there is some element of fantasy racism. There are some races you can play as that the rest of the fantasy races in the Forgotten Realms inherently distrust or don't like and honestly there's been a lot of discussion on that front since Baldur's Gate 3's release I am not at all qualified to get yeah. into that mm. um smarter people and more uh and people who have a lot more of a personal connection to that kind of thing uh listen to them instead yes. I'm a boring white guy who has no experience with being racially profiled um but yeah that even if you play like i'm playing a tiefling paladin and the ways characters react to me are vastly different than in my multiplayer game where i'm playing a uh high elf sorcerer because tieflings have like ancestry with demons demons and devils and dungeons and dragons are two separate things i think they have ancestry with demons so there's a connection to like demons which are evil and so there's a lot of mistrust for tieflings um and whereas elves are like you know your standard tolkien-esque like hoity-toity snooty aristocratic um people uh will react to you with more that they assume you're very aloof than you're not trustworthy like they would with tieflings or drow for instance uh and that's that's the kind of detail that you can only really get in the very specific circumstance of this game's development um which is again why i said like there's probably not going to be another game this detailed like it for uh, I would hazard a guess and say like 10 years. Very cool. But it is absolutely worth playing. It is 100% worth your time. I will say about the Steam Deck version, it is listed as verified. I have noted some noticed some occasional frame rate stutters. And please just give me a UI scaling option. <laughs> some of the text is so small. Mm. I especially when it's dark i think i talked about this previously with um uh power wash simulator where okay. if it's like dark and your eyes are tired mm -hmm. uh this is a very text heavy game and not being able to read the text is very important is uh yes not very useful mm -hmm. so you can i think change the subtitle size but you can't change the size of the text for like item descriptions and stuff and i would really really appreciate it because my, my pc can't run this and i would like to play it on a bigger screen 
uh, but in the meantime, yeah. Apparently, I've been reading here. Apparently, it, it doesn't enable cross save. So does or doesn't it? Do, sorry, it does. Yeah, it does have Steam Cloud. Mm, no, um, but appar- but you can um yeah do it between say like a uh, the PC and PS five. Uh, also, oh, nice. Yeah, and also, finally, apparently, it's going to come to the Xbox series. Nice. So, That's the one I, I I have an Xbox, so okay. It, uh, haven't I haven't been able to get it there yet? Yeah, you got this the, the Series X. I do. Yes. Yes. So you'll be able to play split screen, whereas apparently, exact from what I hear, the big issue was that uh, it was delayed on Xbox because they couldn't get the split screen working correctly on Series S. It is a very demanding game. Yes, uh, like. I, I've played a number of games on my Steam Deck, and none of them have drained the battery as quickly as Baldur's <laughs> Gate 3 has. Ooh. Like, the Steam Deck's battery life is already not amazing, but, like, going from fully charged to the, like, hey, you only have 20% battery left, maybe you should plug it in, uh, notification in the top right corner, that took, like, two hours. Oh. Yeah. So there is some amount of messing around in the settings you could probably do to like extend your playtime with that one. But if you're playing it on Steam Deck, I highly recommend just keep your Steam Deck plugged in while you're playing it. It's just going to save you so much headache. Exactly. Uh. But it is like, again, I have to play more of it, but I am thoroughly enjoying it both as just a very good RPG and a very good translation of the Dungeons and Dragons world and rule set. If if you liked um the movie Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, um this is a little more serious than that. Like there's obviously a lot of moments of levity and stuff, but the situation you are in is quite dire. I'm I'm trying to sort of talk around it so people can experience it fresh uh without too many spoilers. The situation is a little more diring and time intensive. No. Yeah, time intensive. Um, so you're you're not gonna have like goofy fun antics like that movie, but it is. Oh man, I. If I hadn't gone to London this past weekend, that probably just would have been my weekend. Like, I would have just like plugged in my Steam Deck, sat down on the couch. And then played Baldur's Gate three, and then had bre- had lunch, and then played more Baldur's Gate three, and then had dinner, and then played more Baldur's Gate three. Uh, yeah, it is quite dangerous to have on my Steam Deck as well. Yes, because there was one evening where I was like, you know, it's it it's around the time that I should be getting to bed, but I'm not actually that tired yet, so <laughs> I am gonna like brush my teeth and everything. Yeah, you know, I, I played a little bit of Baldur's Gate three before just, I go to sleep, just and then a suddenly bit more. it was midnight. Uh, and i was like i i i want to keep playing but i probably shouldn't (laughs) oh uh, well that that does seem like a good recommendation though (laughs) yeah i again i I am biased because i am a big fan of D D. but even for people who aren't this is a very very good rpg uh i i cannot overstate 
the great personalities of all of the characters, like, enough. Obviously, some of them are unpleasant, but they are all well-developed, and their reasoning for being so unpleasant is logical. And uh, if you want to romance any of them, uh, I think you can romance all of the companions. Oh. Which I, I'm personally not that big into, but boy, Asterion, he will not stop hitting on me. <laughs> like, when I met him, I assumed he was already going to be a very flirty character, and then every interaction with him I've had since has <laughs> exceeded my expectations in <laughs> how much he wants to jump my bones. <laughs> um, so if you like that kind of thing this is a great game for you as well <laughs> nice well, well that's it um, for this episode of um, Game Podger Unfocused I've been your host Scott thank you for Hilka for uh, joining me thank you for having me it was great to be here as always and I think, hey, my voice held up pretty well during this recording. Um, although I am going to go drink a whole bunch of water after we're done. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. And we will catch you all next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Podular Unfocused Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our other show, and Focus. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and our Game Podular for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. The links for both are on our website. Thanks. This episode was edited by me, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheScottyJman. You can also follow Hilka on Twitter at Gear12 underscore Turbo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>